The first mistake, though, if I could really just define it, is the process. We need to have a sales process. Look, I've said many times that sales is nothing more than a series of repeatable and definable steps that anybody can learn. Hiring people really comes down to, did I find somebody that's got the right fit? Do I believe they have the capability of doing the job and are they hungry enough to want to do it? The last one is, is we just don't use, we either don't use financing or we use it poorly. Um, number one thing I want you to understand is that if you're not offering financing in your business, if you're not selling the monthly payment on every project, you're literally creating price objections and you're creating uh, shop around objections. Hey, how's it going? It's Tim Brown and this is the Hook Better Leads podcast. And today I have John DeRosa on. How you doing, man? I couldn't imagine being any better. I like that. He's from SRS Distribution. We're talking about five sales mistakes destroying your roofing company's profitability. First, I want to get a little background, John. How long have you been doing this? And what is your specialty when it comes to uh, helping contractors make more money? Yeah, so I mean, I've been working uh, in the, I guess, home improvement space. I hate when people use that word, right? I'm in the, you know, the such and such space. Uh, home improvement space, I started with uh, working for vinyl window, man uh, wood window manufacturers, wholesale distributors, vinyl window manufacturers, um, sold vinyl windows in the home, um, did a couple tours with some wood window companies, spent about nine years with an asphalt shingle manufacturer, and now obviously with SRS for a little, about, little more than seven years. But um, I've been working with contractors um, really in the training space for probably a little more than 25 years. Uh, it kind of started when the Home Depot started to come into the local market and I, everybody was concerned that it was going to start taking business away from my lumber and building material dealers. So we started teaching them, like, how do you bring value to your contractors and sort of protect your business? And it kind of scaled from there. So Awesome. So, and you, you are talking at uh, roofing process. I don't think this is going to come up before roofing process, but... Um, it's around now, and the, usually these go up pretty quick. So yeah. you're talking – what are you talking about uh, at the show? Yeah, I'm still working on that topic, you know, yeah. uh, trying to figure out something that's going to be, you know, engaging. And it's kind of scary because it's, I think, Thursday of next week, and we're, we're talking yeah. today on a, on a Friday. But, hey. you know, I think at the end of the day, what I want really people to understand is, is that they – and this is probably what I'll be speaking to really is just the importance of – of coaching and how critically important it is to sales reps, yeah. you know, having a repeatable and, you know, series of steps that they can follow that put them in the best position to win. I mean, I think selling is all about, and coaching is all about, what can I do to help my salesperson bend that probability curve in their favor? Because mm -hmm. I think that selling is all about probability. And I want to make sure that they've committed to the actions and the behaviors and are doing the things necessary that are going to put them in the best position to win. Mm -hmm. And that's really kind of the stuff that I think I'm going to, try to speak to, I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> yeah, I was picking uh, Chuck Toki's brain on this topic. Uh, like, I, I think one of the things is belief as a roofing business owner or even roofing sales manager of, do I really know what I'm doing? Because if I don't know what I'm doing, it's scary to coach people. So I feel like there's a reluctance to really train consistently because we don't know if it's valuable to our people. And I think that that's kind of one of those beliefs that people have to get over. Yeah, and I think where I see a lot of issues, right, and this is a huge concern of mine, right, because we have a lot of really good people out there that are running successful businesses and they want to hire people, but they don't really have the means. They don't know how to train them. So what we see is, and this is unfortunate, we see them hiring these like sort of retreads that maybe aren't good for the culture and they kind of feel like they're prima donnas. And like I've literally had customers that say to me, I hired this guy, he's a jerk. 
but he could sell. And I'm like, why are you hiring jerks? Well, because I can't train them. And I think that while training is important, we just need to make sure that the owner or the business manager is being able to facilitate the conversations that kind of keep people focused on the things that they need to do to put them in the best position to win. Um, And that's not a lot of training. I think it's just all about setting very clear expectations and holding people accountable. So would you say you think it's more valuable for a roofing company owner to be able to train or to be able to identify and hire rock stars? Yeah, I think it's probably, look, I'm not going to suggest that hiring rock stars is easy, but hiring the right people for your company should be easier than it is now. And right now what we're trying to find, and I don't mean to put everybody into one group because some people do it better than others. We're trying to find people that are a good fit for our company and our culture. We're trying to find people that are um, um, hungry and highly motivated. And we're also trying to find somebody who's just got badass skills and can close deals. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, is a lot of those people are already taken and they're happy in the environment that they're in. So we wind up giving up on some of that. So I think that hiring people really comes down to, did I find somebody that's got the right fit? Do I believe they have the capability of doing the job and are they hungry enough to want to do it? Once we identify that person, and that should be relatively easy, then we need to just be able to plug them into a system or a process that says, hey, look, these are the the steps that you need to take. These are the behaviors that I need you to commit to. And you're going to need to set, and this is where a lot of managers and coaches and owners in some cases fail, is they set very, they don't set clear expectations of what's expected. Like I'll have people that will call me and they'll say, hey, John, how do I get my reps to knock more doors? And I say, well, tell them to knock more doors. Yeah. And it's like they don't want to have that conversation because I just want to be their friend and hope they be productive. It's like you're a business owner. This is about numbers. So if my expectation is that you need to knock 15 doors a week, and I expect based on those door knocks that 10 of them are going to result in an appointment, and of those 10, five of them are going to create a sale, and then of those five, I'm going to get three or four referrals. Well, now I've created a system that really allows that cost, that, that sales rep to sort of self-generate and, and drive the machine and make some money. But this whole idea of so you have people knock if it was you. It depends on what their role is and what their time requires. I mean, as a in a retail environment, we see a lot of people that that kind of struggle with the idea of I don't want to be a vacuum cleaner sales. I don't want to be a door to door salesperson. But the reality is, and I've said this with other people too, right? If I'm in a room with three hundred contractors and I ask how many of you upon selling a retail job, I sign the deal, how many of you before you get in your car are knocking the doors on the neighbors and knocking the doors across the street? Very small percentage of people will raise their hand. But if I ask those same people who raise their hand, the guy's doing it, how often does that create at least one appointment? They tell me every time. So my assertion would be, I want to build the schedule out in a way where once you close that deal, you have the ability to knock on those doors yeah, and try to self-generate some leads. And now if I'm also, as a business owner, if I'm also providing a really strong referral program on the, on the other side of it, now I can tell my client, we've got a great referral program. I'm going to go knock all these doors. If any of them talk to you and if such and such happens, here's what's in it for you. Mm. And I'm now creating this full circle and literally taking ownership of that neighborhood. I love it. All right. So let's get into these five sales mistakes destroying roofing profitability. So the first one, what do we got? What's our big, what's the first number one mistake? Well, Look, I think I do definitely have five mistakes that I can share with you. But even outside of those five mistakes, there's an umbrella that covers all of them. And this is critical, right? The sales rep needs to be accountable. Mm. And I think that that's part of setting that expectation, right? If I sit down and have a conversation with a sales rep and says, look, this is what we're expecting of you. Is this reasonable? And that sales rep says, yep, I'm absolutely committed to doing it. 
then they're just we just need to hold them accountable to doing the things that they said that they were committed to doing. I'm not saying it's easy, but that's at least a start. So the sales rep needs to be accountable. They need to know that whether they, if they lost the job, if they didn't get the inspection, if they didn't, you know, um, close the deal, if they didn't upsell, whatever those accountabilities are, right? That they have to own that. Mm-hmm. And we see it all the time. Like guys will say, I could sell better if my competition wasn't so cheap. I could sell better if my customer was smarter. I could sell better if my company did a better job. And I'm like, hey, man, look, all that stuff is a challenge, no doubt. But what are you willing to do within your own power and control to be successful in spite of those challenges? So we could train them. We could provide them with the top five mistakes and say these are the things that you have to avoid and here's the way to do it better. But unless they own the fact that those mistakes exist and it's their fault, they're never going to take any action. Mm. So that's really the key to all of this. The, The first mistake, though, if I could really just define it, is the process. We need to have a sales process. Look, I've said many times that sales is nothing more than a series of repeatable and definable steps that anybody can learn. But the truth is, is they've got to be committed to those steps. They've got to execute those steps to have any results. The sales process is designed, and when we're talking about profitability here, right, what are the mistakes that kill profit? The reason you're using a process is because you're building context into your presentation. Look, if I go to the Omni Hotel and I'm going to order a Budweiser, I expect to pay a significant uh, dollar for that Budweiser, significantly more than I would pay if I was down the street at some bodega buying something out of this, uh, you know, out of the refrigerator. Mm-hmm. I might spend as much as twenty bucks at the Omni Hotel, and I expect to pay that because of the context. It's where I am. I, it'd be mm-hmm. unfair. I mean, there was a study done by Vanderbilt University where they determined that the upscale prestige of a high-end hotel allowed it to get away with charging higher prices so much so that the subjects felt that it was unfair to ask them to charge the same price as the cheaper, less expensive hotel. So if you dial that into the contractor corollary, right? Like how does, how do we create a condition where the homeowners come into the conclusion that like, wow, you're not going to be cheap. You're probably going to be more expensive than I can afford. But I understand that. So when we, go ahead. Yeah. Just like, we do our sales process, hook agencies. We have a intro call, it's like 20 minutes, and then we have a longer Zoom meeting, which is like a slides. And I like on that first call, if I have it, and I'm not usually the salesperson, but I say like, I tell them price and stuff like that. And I'm not saying this is exactly how you'd wanna do it, because I think you'd want them to be together. But I usually have to say like, usually people have the question of why are you more expensive after this intro call? This longer presentation with all the examples and process and stuff like that, um, we'll share it with you why we're more expensive. So to me, that that slide deck really has all of the like documentation around what is expensive about what we do. And it's usually always around like customer service and documentation and checklists that we follow. And I think that there's probably some correlation with how a contractor could present visually. This is these are the processes we follow that would make us more expensive than somebody whose your roof is going to leak in one year. Yeah, and I think what you're doing too, you're describing a, maybe a qualification process. Look, this is what it's going to cost potentially, and I think what you're doing is, is you're allowing people to say, this might not be uh, the right fit for me. So if they're willing to take that next step, you at least know that they're open to making that type of an investment. Now we just need to talk about why. It, you're going to get a return on that investment. I, I agree 100%. Based on that, just you noting that, how do you feel, just putting you on the hot spot here, how do you feel about these tools right now that are using like a, a 
they're allowing people to price their project on their site to kind of qualify themselves in or out. Um, like the new, like roofing calculators that are popping up that are allowing people to do that. How do you feel about them? I think that, um, you know, I, I hate to go against the grain on some of this because I know that just well, people have this. I, I want your real answer. I, yeah. I'm not trying to get a pre-packaged answer. I don't really have a, a, a good pulse on what that process is. My yeah. concern is, is if at the end of the day, if the homeowner or the consumer has three or four prices that they got off of an internet, they yeah. have nothing really to base their decision on other than those three or four different prices. Yeah. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're what they're buying. They don't know what's involved. It's not like buying a car. You know, I, I know that I'm going to get a Ford Taurus regardless of where I buy that Ford from. It's going to be the same car coming out of the same plant, same warranty, whatever it is. You're not buying a car. You know, you're buying a roof. And that's the thing that I want. Like, I want to try to create a sense of, of use reality to create urgency that compels the prospect to see value in me investing them investing some time in me so that we can build that context. And so my team ha is deploying these tools out on people's websites. We used to make our own calculators, like pricing calculators. And then like these other ones that are really good popped up. And so I'm like, well, we're not making these calculators anymore. Like, and we were like trying to like calculate the basic size of the roof by the square footage of the house and different things like that. So and they weren't ideal. Now, you know, you can measure it or whatever. So what I think I'm going to do after this conversation, based on what you're saying, I'm going to make sure it's built into our process. Because right now, what you can do is outside of the iframe of this tool, let's say, mm -hmm. uh, these different tools, is put like testimonials right beneath the, the frame of the pricing tool. And then you can also put in like the three differentiating features that makes you different. So you can try to do some price conditioning on your website while they're doing this. I will tell you this, roofers want these. Roofers want, the, like a lot of forward thinking roofers are using these and they, they've had us build them in the past and now these are better than what we built. So ultimately they want them. I think it's partly because we, especially if you're a smaller team, you're trying to qualify because it gets tiring to deal with the, the tire kickers. So ultimately, anyways, that's my take. It's okay that I think there is some um, back and forth here. And ultimately, I think I'm, I'm excited to to better frame this conversation of price based on this sales conversation, or the, you know, us talking about sales now. It's time you rethink roofing. Okay, so Refresh, Repair, Restore is not just spraying oil on a roof and rejuvenating the roof. We go in and we soft wash the roof. We have to get rid of that algae because that algae actually takes root in your shingles and is tearing your uh, shingle apart on a micro level. So we clean that roof, we get it spotless, we do the necessary repairs that need to be done to your roof, and then we rejuvenate it and bring it back to life. Make repairs profitable off of rejuvenation, uglyroof.com. All right, so let's talk about that second one, conditioning. Yeah, so the first one's a process, and that's going to help you build context, right? Ultimately, if I do it right, I want the prospect to come to the realization of, man, I really want to use you. I really think it's a good decision to use you. I'm afraid I might not be able to afford you, right? Because mm -hmm. in the end, if I get the customer to come to the realization that this is probably going to be out of reach, probably going to be unaffordable, in the end, if I can make it affordable, I've increased the probability 
of, of bent that probability curve in my favor. Price conditioning is also very important. And I often joke, right? You've got to consider in a retail environment, most customers are sitting up at night and they're watching Property Brothers, you know, three or four episodes a night. And they watch these two guys come in and with, you know, $50,000, they're completely remodeling an entire house. They're removing asbestos. They're leaky pipes. And they're doing it in 30 minutes with commercials. And then here comes your friendly neighborhood roofing contractor and he drops a price at 18000 and they go, that doesn't make much sense. So my assertion is, is that early on in the process, you need to orientate them to a more realistic expectation of price. Mm. Now, one of the easiest ways that I recommend that you do this is to build a testimonial book. And I would encourage you to put their prices right in that testimonial book. Mm. So part of the process is going to be, and this is where we really get into like building a system, right? Part mm-hmm. of my process is, is, hey, I'm going to go do a quick inspection. And while I'm doing that inspection, I'm going to hand them this book. Here's what some of our customers have said about us. I'm going to let the homeowner go through that and see pictures of happy homeowners. And that's important, right? One recommendation I would make is stop showing before and after photos of blue roofs, black roofs, brown roofs, all that kind of stuff. They want to see people. Show happy people holding a sign that said, you guys were great. Show happy people standing next to your yard sign because it's called social proof selling. People see somebody else that's happy. They're just like me. They're happy. And then they see that they spent 18000 Well, maybe I'll be happy if I spend 18000 too. I'm now, oversimpl- out, like, this is like something we hammer in the design yeah, process. Gosh. I call them testimonials. Like if you have a picture of a smiling face, yep. the, the Google logo and the five stars and kind of like really the social proof with a secondary um, confirmation is my ideal scenario is like you actually will put in like the logo of where it was left so they could go check it if they wanted to just because some people are are skeptical of you know success stories in that way so yeah i think it's an awesome idea and if you can get your people to do that i think you know our industry needs more pictures of people yeah even if you go to somebody's website you know i I made a public service announcement on our facebook group recently that was like please stop posting pictures of your truck like i know you're happy with your truck it's all blinged out it's real sexy but consumers don't look at a truck and go oh i would trust that guy you know it's like they want to see the people that they're inviting into the home you know exactly so one way we would price condition is to put the price on the on the photos so they kind of get a sense and yeah that's going to create a little bit of anxiety but 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 we kind of w- would rather have that anxiety early on. So just think about it from a timeline perspective. If they watch, if they watch, if they watch Property Brothers and they think the job's going to cost nine thousand, and then you're you're doing an inspection and they're showing you pictures of of uh, of roofs that you've done that were eighteen thousand, nineteen thousand, seventeen thousand, and then when you get into your product presentation stage, you're going to give them options. You want to encourage them to help you build this roof, create an emotional connection to the project. They're up, they're upgrading. They're filling their shopping cart with all these products. And now that first initial judgment, right? Price conditioning is what they call price anchoring. And what it basically says is, is that we have a habit as people to rely on the first piece of information that we see. And we base all of our decisions on that first piece of information. So they might think it's 9,000, but when you show them pictures of an $18,000 roof, that's the number they become anchored to. Now they're filling their shopping cart. And they're saying, I want synthetic felt. I want a better, a more decorative shingle. I want a better warranty system. And in their mind, that $18,000 anchor is now turning into $23,000, $24,000. So literally, when you get to the point, and I might even encourage this in some groups, I would even encourage you to say, hey, look, when you consider it, before we give you the price, right? But when you consider who we are and what we do and the way that we do things and all the choices that we've made, like if you had to guess, like what do you think this project's going to cost? And if the homeowner says, well, I think it's going to be like $25,000, $26,000, and you're like, oh, my gosh, no, actually, you're going to love this. We can do the job for X and get your payments as low as. 
And now all of a sudden they think it's 25,000. You're showing them a price of 17 and they're like, wow, that's, wow, that's better. And I've sat with reps and I'm not going to embarrass them, but I've sat with reps on sales calls where they price condition so well that when they deliver a price of 28,000, I'm talking single layer tear off, walkable, raised ranch roof, you know, Oak Ridge shingles. Like they're not putting Berkshires or Camelot twos on there. I was talking a single layer tear off sort of entry level shingle brand. They're selling, they're dropping a price of 26,000 and the homeowner's going, you had me scared. Like I thought it was going to be more than that. Yeah. And that's, that's the key to the price conditioning conversation. It's like kind of creating that element. I love that. All right. Let's talk about story. Yeah, so the third mistake is, and this again, this is all is about building context, right? You need to have a company story to tell. And I know, and contrary to what a lot of owners and managers think, their reps are not telling a good company story. They're not telling any story. I mean, mm. they're basically going in and they're saying, hey, look, we're licensed, we're certified, been in business for 25 years. Let me take some measurements. I'll come down and I'll get you a number. Y you can't do that. I mean, the... You're, you're giving them nothing other than the base, the, the decision other than the number. Look, the process that I teach, right, it's designed to secure four commitments, and all those commitments are necessary to secure the sale. The first commitment is a commitment to the need. Do they recognize they have a problem, and are they committed to solving it? And this really avoids the people that are saying, I'm going to wait till spring, or I'm going to wait till the next storm. The second commitment is a commitment to the company, and I can only get that if I tell them a story. And the story really is, who are we, how long have we been in business, let me invite you in, give you a peek behind the, the, the door of who we are and who the people are that are going to be responsible for delivering on all the promises that we've made. And I'm showing them pictures of my team and my project manager and the person in the office who kind of manages everything and keeps everything going together. And at the end of that process, I'm, I'm asking a simple question. Hey, look, based on what we've talked about so far, how confident are you in our ability to handle the project? And if they say, hey, we think you guys are great, I'm going to ask them, tell me why. Because that why is context. If they say, I trust you, I like you, I like your people, you just seem like you do really good work, and, I, and I, you're good people, well, in the end, when they tell me that my price is higher, I could ask them to measure that cost difference against those reasons why mm -hmm. and realize that we're probably your cheapest option. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Did you give all your commitments that you said? So the fourth commitment, the third commitment is a commitment to the product. Yeah. And look, I'm, this is something that I want people to be a little bit protective of we're not talking about in the product presentation this isn't one of my top five mistakes but this is one of them because it kills differentiation is you don't want to make it about the shingle brand right hmm. more often than not we see these guys that get up there and they go this is the brand i use this is why they're the best brand on the market the consumer doesn't really care what the consumer cares about is what are you putting on my roof and why is it the, why are you doing that why are you why yeah. are you doing what you do so I encourage reps, right? Are you selling a, a hook agency roofing system that uses Owens Corning shingles or are you selling an Owens Corning roofing system? That's a very interesting topic because different people would disagree with you on that particular subject. Um, I tend to agree with you because I think that ultimately if, you're, if your company's differentiation is not intense enough to, to lead with, then you really need to work on your brand and you need to work on your branded systems. Um, but it is something that other people have different opinions about. Like some people would well, say, borrow the, borrow the manufacturer's brand since yours stinks. <laughs> 
Well, and I'm not suggesting that you ignore the equity that some of these brands have developed. What I'm saying is, is you don't want to rely on that as a source of differentiation. Because the reality is, the more I talk about certainteed shingles and why certainteed is the best shingle on the market, the more I risk shifting the buying criteria to one where the customer determines, hey, it's all about certainteed. And now I can look look and go, well, how many certainty guys in the marketplace and why is your price higher than his? So the bottom line is this, right? If I took as a contractor, if I put four brochures in the front of the homeowner and said, I can give you a GAF roof, an Owens Corning roof, an ICO roof or a certainty roof, you know, most people would say that the homeowner is going to say, well, which one do you think I should use? Yeah. Cause I'll tell you what, like as a homeowner, if I just put myself in homeowner brand right now, cause I'm not a roofer. I would just say literally those all sound the same. Like I, I don't really have an, um, I, and it, even though I'm in the industry and kind of looking at this stuff because I'm not sitting there installing roofs and looking at the problems, I don't actually know which one's better. Like realistically, I can only listen to other roofers or to roofers talk about it. So most homeowners are in that position. We really don't have a lot of associations with quality with any of these companies. And like Pink Panther, no offense, respect. It's like a good try. We don't have that strong of association with any of these brands, no matter what they are. Yeah, well, I refer to that as a threshold. So yeah. I do I do think that the Pink Panther carries some weight. I think GIF carries some weight. I, I think would say the GIF, like, badges, like, just the way they position it, the, the branding around Master Elite and certain things like that, to a homeowner that is not sophisticated about shingles at all, it just looks good. It, like, it makes it seem as though that is something of importance about the roofer. Yeah, I would, I would, yeah, I agree with all that. And, and yeah. again, I'm not trying to undermine the value that the shingle manufacturer's brand brings to the table. I'm just making the case that they're familiar with those brands. So as a contractor, all I'd really need to say is, Mr. And Mrs. Homeowner, I could put any brand of shingles on your home that you want, but in my professional opinion, GIF is the best product on the market. It's what I have on my home. And the homeowner's going to go, I'm familiar with that. And they're comfortable with it. Yeah. Like, so don't make it about them. Make it about now get them involved in showing them how you're going to utilize the different GAF products in this example to and help build the system that they want and let them pick those products. So I've heard it put this way. It's not the product that matters, but the fact that you have one that you're suggesting. You know what I mean? That you have an opinion that you're not, you know what I mean? Like, that's what I think. It's not necessarily that anyone, or you're, that the homeowner believes that they're that much better. It's the fact that you have a one that you really are suggesting. Because that confidence is kind of what you're selling. Yeah, and I would I would argue, too, from like a pricing psychology standpoint, and there's been a lot of books written about this stuff, is that if you say to the homeowner, I can give you GAF or I can give you Owens Corning, there needs to be a price difference associated with between the two that they can see or yeah. else you wind up confusing them. Like mm-hmm. there literally creates confusion because they don't know how to differentiate one from the other. So these guys that go in and say, I can give you any product that you want. Is there a particular shingle you like? Here's the three brands I can offer you. It creates a little bit of what they call like option overload. They don't know how to digest what makes yeah. one different from the other. So you have to at least make one a little slightly higher, one a little yeah. slightly less. And that'll facilitate the questions that allow you to dive deeper into what makes this product different. I think that's good. All right, we got number four. Yeah, and and this kind of builds nicely on what we just mentioned about the product. It's upselling, right? Um, 
you know, I know a lot of people out there that that will say, hey, I can give you an Oak Ridge shingle, or if you'd like, I can upgrade you to duration. Um, and my, my problem with that and why I think that's not necessarily a good strategy is because I've always been a big fan of the rule of threes. And I've always uh, been a big supporter of what they refer to as the Goldilocks principle. We all know the Goldilocks story, right? Mm -hmm. Every time Goldilocks was faced with a decision, she chose the decision that catered to her aversion to extremes. And we all do this. Mm -hmm. So this one's too hot. This one's too cold. This one's too hot. This one or hard. This one's too soft, too big, too small. Mm -hmm. By her having those three options, she was able to find the one that's just right. Yeah. So if I go into a homeowner and say, hey, I can give you an Ico Cambridge shingle or I can give you an Ico Dynasty shingle, they don't have anything to compare either of those two other than amongst themselves. So by you providing a third option and saying I can also offer you an Armor Shake shingle, what you're doing is, is you're allowing them to easily discount one of those three options. Well, I don't want the Cambridge because I want something better. And that does, it's not to imply the Cambridge isn't. Sure. By itself. I'm just saying, like, I want something better for my house. I want the performance-based dynasty right. product or I want the decorative, you know, armor shake, for example. Now what they do is when they discount that least desirable option, they're now choosing between the other two. And if you think about it, like if you go into a liquor store and you're buying a bottle of wine, mm -hmm. I got a Sutter Home for nine bucks. I've got a Michael David wine for twenty-nine bucks, and I've got a Camus for $189. People are going to walk into that environment and they're easily going to discount one of them. Maybe they're going to say, I don't want to spend 200 bucks on a bottle of wine. And then they're going to choose between the other two and they're more likely to say, but I deserve better than the cheap one. Mm -hmm. Or they're going to walk in easily and say, I'm not drinking Sutter Home. I deserve better than that. And then they're going to choose between the other two. And ultimately, if they have the money, they're going to say, I want the best. Or they're going to say, I don't need the best either. This one's going to be a good fit for me. What so, would you present those in? Because like on the last podcast, uh, Toki gave me an order, and I'm curious what order you – like it's cool. It's different than his. But I'd be curious what your order of pre presentation of those three good, better, and best would be. What would what order would you present those in personally? So I don't want to contradict uh, I like. Toki. I would love it if you contradict. I like. No, I don't way. want to contradict him. I, you know, I, I think that there's a variety of ways that you can make this stuff work. For me to help you understand, like, my thought process, I'm trying to use, and I hate to say psychological price yeah. buying strategies and pricing strategies, but that's exactly what it is. I want to leverage a couple of things in the way that I present my options. I yeah. want to talk about bundling because okay. I think bundling eases decision, decision maker. I don't have to pick a variety of products. I go to the drive through and I say, give me another five. It's a good value and it has everything I want. It makes it easier. I'm also going to leverage the power of free. So my upsell process is not so simple, but it, it, it really is. I'm going to walk them through the roof system, and I'm going to show them, here's how we're going to build your roof. And as I get into certain products, I'm going to give them options up front, and I'm going to have them select, I want a synthetic uh, felt. I want a better ice and water protector package. I want a decorative ridge cap shingle. I want, um, you know, a better ventilation package. And it's cool if you're a certified contractor because you can have them make those product selections that really lead up to your ability to offer that better warranty or whatever it is that you're selling. So now the homeowner goes through the process and just in the early stages of the process, they're saying, I want synthetic felt, I want better ventilation, and I want a better ice and water protector package. Their perception of cost is going up because they're now filling their shopping cart and they're also becoming emotionally attached to you and the project because they built the roof. This is mine. I helped to create this. They want it. 
So now that they've chosen those selections, I'm then going to show them three different shingle options that represent a good, better, best. It mm. might be um, uh, an Oak Ridge, a Dynasty, and then a Berkshire shingle, for, to, to use Owens Corning as an example. Yeah. And I'm going to tell the homeowner that these are my three, your three options for these home, for their home. If you go with the Dynasty or the Berkshire shingle, I'm going to let you pick three of those five systems upgrades for no additional cost. And you've already told me that you want the synthetic felt, the ice and water protector, and the better ventilation. Because when I do that, what I'm doing is I'm really, in the mind of the customer, I'm forcing them to say, well, why would I buy the Oak Ridge shingle and have to pay extra for all those products when I could get the better uh, duration product and I get all those products for free? And I'm actually facilitating that upsell. And there's also, again, from, from a psychological perspective, there's fear in losing free. People yeah. will, and it's been proven time and time again, they will make bad decisions to avoid losing free. <laughs> so if I say to them, this stuff is free, now it's like, well, I don't want to miss out on a free, something that's free. And then I'm, I'm literally creating a condition where I'm allowing them to self-justify why they yeah. should spend more with me. And, yeah, and there's another concept. Sales, like... In a lot of ways, we are just, we're letting people have an excuse to buy what they wanted to buy too. You know what I mean? Like, I think you're just giving oh them God. an excuse to get something better for themselves. So I think that that's, that's fun. And I'm going to write that down and steal it because that's, I think that's exactly what you're doing. You're making yeah. them feel smarter mm -hmm. by choosing to spend more. Absolutely. And, and there's another concept in, in pricing called decoy pricing. And what decoy pricing basically says is that people will have a specific change in, in options when they're with, between two options when they're presented with something that's considered asymmetric, asymmetrically dominated. And what that really means is, and, and an example we give in training is, if you give somebody the option between a $5 popcorn at a movie theater and a $10 popcorn, most people are going to say, I'm not spending 10 bucks, I'm going to buy a $5 popcorn. But if you give them an asymmetrically dominated option and say, we also have a middle option popcorn that's for $9.25, now, all of a sudden, those people that said, I'm not spending $10 on a large, they're saying, 75 cents more, I get a large. Like, hmm. that's a good decision. So when you that's think about- really good. I like that. The, what did you call that? A decoy it's called pricing? decoy pricing. And really cool. I like that. I feel like I've been subject to decoy pricing a couple of times. That's very good. I like that. Yeah. I mean, I, and I joke, right? Like, if somebody went in and ordered a medium, like, you're not supposed to order a medium. The guy would look at you and go- Dude, yeah. you sure you don't want a large, you know? So yeah. if you think about like a product like, and again, I'm, I hate to, I'm not playing favorites of any brand. I'm just kind of talking about making it easy for how this works. Like I believe Owens Corning has that product. They have a duration and they have something called a flex, okay. which is basically the duration shingle. And if I'm quoting this wrong, you guys will understand what I mean. Yeah. I'm not very product centric, but it's a duration product that's made with like an SBS modified asphalt. So now I what I could do. Asphalt shingles, I will say. What's that? I do love modified asphalt shingles for sure. So the decoy works perfectly in that scenario because I could say to the client that, hey, I can give you the duration, the power of, you know, the Chernell technology and the higher wind rating and the better system, but for as little as $4 more a month, I can give you all that with an SBS modified asphalt that's mm -hmm. impact resistant and it may even help you reduce the cost in your insurance premiums. And I've managed the expectation by saying for $4 more a month or $10 more a month or $11 more a month, people are starting to go $11 more. Like it makes sense yeah. for me to buy that more expensive product. Yeah. And, and and by the way, I just want to throw this out there. If anybody's listening and says like, this makes a lot of sense, but I don't, I can't get it over the course of a podcast, 
email me or message me on Facebook and I'll be happy to talk you through it because it's fun. When it comes down to, you know, trying to find business in the winter when, when the storm's over, when there's no fresh damage to work, we'll go back to Hill Trace. We'll track down a swath that, you know, most contractors haven't had the opportunity to go out and, and address yet because they're so busy chasing the big storm. You know, as long as we've got a date within reason, we can chase that storm, we can pick up jobs, we can pick up leads. Awesome, so just search John DeRosa on Facebook or um, what's your email? jderosa at srsdistribution.com. Perfect. And if they join our group, we have a group called the SRS Sales Academy. They can, I think some of the videos are even on there where we talk about that stuff. Yeah, there's definitely been some stuff on this podcast already that I think would be extremely, extremely valuable if implemented. Let's talk about that fifth one, though. Oh, boy. It's, fifth it's one is... Mistakes destroying roofing profitability. So yeah. what is the mistake? The last one is, is we just don't use, we either don't use financing or we use it poorly. And I, you know, I hate to sound like condescending when I say that because there's people out there that use financing, but I'm not sure that some people are doing it the right way. And um, number one thing I want you to understand is that if you're not offering financing in your business, if you're not selling the monthly payment on every project, every proposal, every time, you're literally creating price objections and you're creating uh, shop around objections. When customers sees a price of $18,000, they are forced to decide for themselves whether or not that's affordable because they don't know what affordability looks like. But if you provide them with a payment of $189 a month, they can determine that that's affordable in terms of how that um, sits within their monthly budget. I can make that work. Now yeah. it's affordable for me. So when I say people offer it wrong, um, one recommendation that I give is stop talking about it. Like don't go th walk through the door and say, do you guys require financing? Like I wouldn't even bring it up um, yeah. because – because here's the reality is, and I've had conversations with people that say to me, John, my customers are cash buyers. I live in a market. Uh, I was on the phone with a guy today. He says, I'm in Washington, D.C., D.C. money. They all have cash. And I said, that, that might be true. They may have the ability to pay for your roof. But do you know where that money's coming from? And they said, no. And I go, you don't. So what makes you think they want to use their money to pay for your roof? So the idea is, is they may have 20000 in the bank or 50000 in the bank, but when you put a payment in the front of them and it's an unsecured loan with no prepayment penalty, right? And now all of a sudden they're looking at it and they're thinking, how many people do you think are going to say, why would I give you my $25,000 when I can use your money for the next 10 years when pay it off anytime I want? So that's the first mistake. Don't assume that they're cash buyers. You don't know where that money comes from. Second uh, mistake is, is don't use it as a means to overcome the price objection. Customer says, wow, that's, that's a lot of money. And we jump in in an effort to save the sale and say, well, I can finance it. It's too late because they've already checked out. And now they're thinking, I got to call a couple more people. I don't even know if this is a good price. Yeah. Um, third mistake is, is not building those merchant fees into their overhead. And I want to make sure that we're being legal here, right? If I'm going to build my fees into my overhead as a cost of doing business, right, I'm going to do that for every project, every proposal, every time, whether they use financing or not. That's what's going to like kind of keep me safe. So if you know that your reps are going to offer three different options, right, choose the one that's most expensive and then build that into your financing, uh, into, your, into your pricing. Uh, last mistake that I would say that we make is we don't offer it on every proposal every time. And it's just like I just mentioned, right? Customer looks at a price of $18,000, and if that's all they have to look at, they're left by themselves to determine 
Is this fair? Is this a good number? Um, if you give them a price with a payment, they're going to study that payment and they're going to really try to figure out how they can make that work. And if they can't make it work, you then have the means to utilize that payment to help make it more affordable, utilize financing. So if they say to me, well, I can't, $229 doesn't really work for me, but where would you need that to be? And there's a whole training that we do where we literally, let's make it about the payment and let's show the customer how we can make it more affordable. Mm. And, I, and I will, if, I could, if I could just say one more thing too, mm -hmm. like there are really cool products out on the market today that are just starting to avail themselves where it's, you know, it's, wrapped around um, or financing is, is bundled within it. But like there's a tool out there called ProFund where like they're not only providing you with a, an easy means of financing, but they're giving you like you just enter the information into uh, like the homeowner's address into your dashboard mm -hmm. and it will give you a full property report. So it gives mm -hmm. you a report on who the owner is, how long they've lived there, the age of the home, the condition of the home. It gives you weather data that talks about here's the wind risk, here's the hail risk, here's a five-year history of hail and wind within one, three, and five miles of the home. And then it also, and this is really the scary stuff, it's not printed on the report, thank God, because we don't want somebody to, you wouldn't want somebody to deliver that. But it also matches the homeowner to a persona. So you're going to know based on the data that's out there, whether this is a value shopper, a comparison shopper, somebody that only wants the best brands. I think one of the other examples is um, whether they're a, a early adopter who wants the latest and greatest new product. I mean, the cool thing is, is now with all that information, you're able to size up the prospect and develop a strategy before you even show up at the front door. And you also have a printed report, and I think they'll let you put your logo on it, printed report that allows you to just establish instant credibility with them. Like, mm. hey, my report here says it's that you've lived here for three years. What's that? I was saying it's both terrifying and I want it. If I was a roofer, I would want that for sure. Yeah, and I, and I think the cool, like what we're, we're, we're trying to encourage people to do is use that data. And I'm actually at the IRE this year going to do a talk uh, in the, I think it's a sponsored talk, but in the on the show floor about using that type of tech, that data. Mm. But I mean, think about the ability to sit in the front of the homeowner, even when you're knocking a door, by the way. Like, I would know if I'm a storm restoration contractor. Before I knock the door, I can click a GPS button and know it's Mrs. Smith is the owner. She's lived here for two years, and it's a 25-year-old home. I could knock the door and say, hey, Mrs. Smith, and then do my pitch and say, it says here, based on uh, the report, that you've been living here for two years. Have you ever had an inspection? And I'm like, what is the report? Uh, we do a, 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 a data poll on every property that we work with because we want to make sure they make the best recommendations and that we have an understanding of what might be needed on the project. Um, you're aware that you've had 80 mile an hour winds here within one mile of your home. Um, if you've ever had an inspection, you know, I mean, it's like, wow, now they're looking at you as, well, this guy's not some dude that's just knocking my door. He's got like some data, right? Absolutely. So, so we all, we kind of had the overarching, um, canopy of accountability has to be around all these things. So let's just talk through them really quick. Following uh, sales process, not following a sales process is a mistake, not uh, price conditioning, not having a story to tell, not doing upsells or giving options, and then not offering financing or offering it well. Um, how does, how can we kind of relate this back to accountability? Because essentially, these are all things that you would have to like circle with your sales reps on a regular basis and ensure that that's in place. And how do you... How do you spot check to make sure once you, let's say you rolled this out and John DeRosa was personally 
training every single one of your sales reps, but then he went away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, how do you, what, what is the, um, the spot check and the accountability look like on these things? Yeah. Well, the first step, um, and we should also add to, by the way, and I don't add it into the top five because I know I can't change it is that the sales reps aren't following up. Mm. Let's be honest. I mean, I'll sit in a room with a hundred reps and say, how many of you are, can honestly tell me you're following up on the, on the leads that you didn't close? And then they all, the ones that do raise their hand, I tell them they're full of shit. They're not following up. So that's another way we kill profitability. But yeah. we're really, come, we're really to answer your question about the accountability aspect of it. The first thing is we do the training. We say, hey, guys, are you committed to this? Yes. You think this is going to work for you? Yes. We make sure that they can demonstrate to us that they have the skills and that the skills are um, – so th- and they, they can execute the behaviors, because I've always said that, like, this is a big, big problem, right? Sales business owner or business owners and sales managers love to focus on the result. You need to close the deal. You need to sell the value. You need to upsell. Well, that's the end result. They're not focusing on the behaviors that are going to drive those results. So I need to make sure that my sales reps can demonstrate to me that they know how to bend the probability curve in their favor, how to use the process and the system that supports it. Once I'm comfortable that they know how to do that, if they're not producing then we're dialing back to the process. So the first thing is, is I'm going to say to the rep, why didn't we get the sale? And the rep's going to say, and this is important. You need to follow up with your salespeople and ask them, let's go through your pipeline. Who'd you call on this week? I got, I called on 20 leads this week. Great. How many did you close? I closed five of them. What was your average contract price? Okay, good. So I know what that revenue is. Now I'm going to say, let's talk about the ones you didn't close. What happened? And he's going to say, well, the first guy told me he wanted to wait till spring. And I'd say, great, well, did you get the need commitment? That's the accountability. I taught you the process. Part of that process is getting that need commitment. The rep says, no, I didn't get the need commitment. I go, why not? Well, I didn't ask. Okay, so what do you think is going to happen next time? Now I'm going to say, you understand why it's important that you need to do that? Yeah. Okay, demonstrate to me how you're going to ask for it. I make sure they have the skill, and then I task them. So next week, I don't want to hear that we didn't get the need commitment or they wanted to wait till spring. Does that make sense? Can you go through those commitments really quick? I think that's a nice way to kind of like round this conversation off is just like give those commitments one more time because I think those are great things to coach on. Yeah. First commitment is a commitment to the need. Now, storm restoration, guys, this is an easy one to get. I just completed my inspection. There's damage. I talked to the consumer and she says, yep, I definitely want to file a claim. I want to fix this. I got the commitment. That's easy. Retail, it's a little bit more sophisticated, right? I'm going to show them the results of my inspection. I'm going to try to teach them something about their home. I'm going to try to create some urgency to fix it. I'm going to say, hey, look, good news is we can definitely fix this for you guys. Um, matter of fact, I'm certain that we got a good system that's going to help you guys do this the right way. And I also want you to know I think we can make this affordable for you. But, look, obviously I think this is something that you should, shouldn't put off and need to do today or sooner than later. I go, just want to get a sense from you, like, how important is it for you guys to fix this project or do this work? And they say, no, 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 we can't put it off. We need to do it. We need to yeah. get this thing done. Got the knee commitment. Second um, commitment is the commitment to the company. I just told the company story. I went through my whole presentation. I told them who we are. You got to mm-hmm. understand that part of the time, because there's a bias against our industry, people don't trust contractors. Better yeah. Business Bureau tells us this year after year. You just told a great company story, and they're sitting across from you thinking, man, that was really good. You sound awesome, but are you just telling me that because you're trying to sell me? Mm-hmm. So we asked that commitment question to try to chip away at the bias and say, how confident are you in our ability to handle the project? If they say you're great, we then say, awesome. Help me understand, like, what makes you feel that way? Now, in storm restoration, we also ask a commitment question, and we're, we're, we're telling the company's story before we call on the claim. But instead of asking for the commitment in a clo- open-ended question, how confident are you, 
In Storm, we ask it in a closed-ended question, and we say, hey, look, I just spent a few minutes talking about my company. Based on what we've talked about, would you be 100% comfortable with us doing the work? Hmm. And if the client says, absolutely, then we introduce them to the service agreement. They just said, I'm 100% comfortable with you doing the work. Great, let me talk to you a little bit about our agreement. Third commitment is the commitment to the product. Now, keep in mind, you went through the product presentation, you filled the shopping cart, you let them make choices, they built the roof system with you. We're then going to ask the, for the commitment by saying, hey, we just spent a few minutes talking about the products we use. I just want to get a sense from you, how happy are you with the products that we're using and all the choices that we've made? Mm. And if she said, she's going to say it, he's not because he doesn't want to spend the money. He's seeing dollar signs and she's seeing her dream home. She's going to say, I love it. I think it's going to look great. So think about where we're at. I want to do the work. I love your company. I love your product. The last thing we need to do before we give them the price is make sure that price is the only thing that's going to get in the way. And that's called the trial close. Now, my trial close question is a little bit different than some of the others, but my trial close is simply this. After they say, yeah, we're really happy. We think the roof's going to look great. I say, awesome. Look, usually at this point, our clients tell us we're comfortable with the company. We love your product. As long as you can make it fit in the budget, we're going to want to get on the schedule. Like, is that where we're at? Now, I will tell you that more often than not, they're going to say yes, because in a retail setting, the number one question they want you to answer is how much. And you are literally at the cusp of giving them that information. So they're going to look at each other and go, yeah, it's all about the money. And, and that is so critical from a process perspective, right? Mm -hmm. Because when the customer says they want to think about it, you're asking me about check-ins. Well, they said they need to think about it. I go, well, how did you deal with that objection? And if they, I would say to them, well, did you, did you use the trial close? Because remember, the trial close is, if we can make it affordable, well, you want to get on the schedule. So when they say they want to think about it, I say, hey, no problem. I completely understand. But look, just a minute ago, you told me that you loved our company and you loved our product. As long as we could make it affordable, you'd want to do it. Mm -hmm. so, so what is it you need to think about? Is it the initial deposit or is it the monthly payment? And I'm literally drilling it down to the, to the, finance, to the monthly payment or the initial deposit, because neither of those things affect the company's profit, right? We talked about killers of profit. And mm -hmm. now I have the financing to go in and say, let me talk about how we could find you a better payment. I love it. All right. Well, we've covered this topic. Anything else you want to talk about? It's a roofing industry podcast. We're talking to growth-minded roofers. Anything else you want to mention here? Yeah, I would just mention, again, it goes back to that accountability thing, right? I get guys all the time that, that leave and go, man, I took six pages worth of notes. This was awesome. And it's just mm -hmm. like, I want to know, like, what are you going to do? And I hate to be cynical. And it's I have to sometimes walk a fine line because I, I want to challenge even some of our best customers to be a better version of themselves. But I don't want to do it in a way that makes them not want to buy from us, right? But, you know, the okay. reality is, is if you gained anything from this podcast, as you guys go out and you go to the Roofing Process Conference or the IRE or you start attending some of these events, then there's a lot of good ones out there. Make sure when you leave that event, you task yourself with saying, these are the three things that I'm going to focus on. This is why I want to do it. This is what how I'm going to do it. And this is how I'm going to measure my success. And when you feel like you've got that dialed in, Go back to the list and grab another three. That's how we keep growing. And that's that's the key. Holding yourself accountability to using the information. I love it. I think this is probably one that somebody could go back and listen to again and take some good notes. I mean, this is a master class in a podcast. It is crazy how much information is out there in podcasts and YouTube videos on the Internet for training. Um, There's a lot of value being given away. 
at this point. Yeah, and you know what else is amazing too? And I mean, I, I don't want to end on a negative, right? But yeah. it's also amazing is, is there's people that will listen to podcasts or listen to experts out there. And I'm not putting myself in that category. I'm just saying there's people out there that have ride content. How many people do you think are listening with the intent to try to find fault with it? Like, like I, I literally posted something on our Facebook group the other day because like I've literally had business owners say to me that like I sat through a Rodney Webb training and he was obnoxious. Yeah. And I go, wait a second here. Like, yeah. and I know Rodney's got a reputation. He's known for trying to get in your house and shake it up. Yeah. And I applaud him for that because he creates millionaires when he does it. But mm -hmm. I'm sitting here with these business owners. I'm saying, you're telling me you sat in a room with arguably the most sought after sales trainer in the home improvement industry. And the only thing you took out of that meeting was that he was obnoxious. <laughs> like that's a problem, isn't it? Yeah. I, <laughs> I just don't really like, yeah, like, I mean like same in marketing, like there's like Gary V and like someone I'm close with said they went to a Gary V talk and said afterwards, yeah. like he's annoying. And it's like, he might be. And honestly, I don't care because he's incredibly effective at marketing. Oh. He always knows the best tactics and, it doesn't really matter to be real. Like you could have gotten something significant that would help your business add a bunch of revenue. Yeah. If you weren't looking, if you weren't just listening to find fault. So yeah, I think yeah, Gary is, uses the F word, sorry, you know, yeah. and he's, can, you know, I, I've sat in those rooms too. And I've listened to people that have been like, man, I wouldn't have said that like that, man, yeah. that was a little bit offensive, but I'm going to try like hell to not let that get in the way of me trying to steal a couple of nuggets that are going to allow me to be a better version of me. Absolutely. I think that's just a good uh, life tactic in general. Like even the people we disagree with, we can learn something from them. even competitors. You know what I mean? That is something um, I think it is common for roofers to get kind of um, ego around competition and stuff like that. And we get ego, but what are they doing? Good? And yeah. I'm not saying copy everything because sometimes you're copying a failed experiment, but do look, is there something valid that your competitor is doing that you can improve on? It hurts to say it that way because I'm not telling you to like copy everything, but I think ultimately listening and watching to find the actual best stuff, no matter what, even if it's a little painful sometimes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Absolutely. Well, John, thank you so much for checking this, uh, for being on this podcast and thank you for everyone out there listening or watching for checking it out. Um, where can somebody go to learn more about what you're doing? So, uh, again, email me, uh, jderosa at srsdistribution.com. Um, the Facebook proof's a pretty good spot, uh, SRS Sales Academy. Um, but yeah, ha happy to hear you guys there, see you guys there. We post a lot of content, videos from some of our workshops. Um, I try to, you know, keep it fresh. The one thing I can promise everybody is in that group, we, we, it's 100% about you. Like if I don't, I don't, will not post anything unless I feel like it's going to bring some value or, you know, help you shift the paradigm. Uh, Cause that's what I want. I just want, I want the good guys to win. And I know that's kind of a widely used phrase in our industry, but I mean, I mean that there are a lot of really good contractors. I think some of them are not making as much money as they should. And that breaks my heart. I know there's just some of them that are working really hard to sell deals and they're not closing them. And that breaks my heart because I want them to win. So if there's ever anything I can do for anybody, let me know. Um, one thing I will tell you is I will never lie to you and make you a promise that I'm an expert in any area that I'm not. But the good news is we're in an awesome industry with people like you, right? That that uh, I could refer to you to Tim and say this is an area where Tim's going to be able to help you. And I will make sure that I align you with people that are 
like-minded in the fact that they just want to help you win. And uh, that's one of the great things about our industry. I honestly believe that. We've got great people that are extremely generous with their knowledge and their experience and their talent. Absolutely. I agree. Um, the podcast is put on by hookagency.com, hook agency all over social. Please like the video, comment below, or rate the podcast if you're listening. And thank you, everyone, for checking it out. Thank you. Take care, guys. Yeah, I'm talking about Mountain Dew.